Hi everybody, it's Jamie, your friendly neighborhood dungeon manager. Before we start the episode, we just want to point out that The Witcher is a show that contains a lot of extreme violence, potentially sensitive themes, and has some visuals that some people might find troubling. And while we try to cover these things as sensitively as possible, sometimes our discussion might delve into some content that some listeners might find troubling. So we just wanted to let you know before we get started, but like I said, we do our best to keep it tasteful and respectful. And now, on to the episode. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my adventurous co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a leshy that just wants to create their own forest court. It's kind of a difficult process because people are afraid of us. It's hard to recruit new members. You just have to uh, infect people and turn them into other leshies, right? Yeah, and it doesn't always take, you know, human DNA and leshy DNA doesn't always is isn't always compatible. <laughs> oh God! Interspecies, yeah. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, troubling. <laughs> you know, I'm Jack Olander, and I actually was in the process of becoming a leshy myself. Oh, it must have been in a different forest. Oh, uh, yeah. I was actually going through transformation, but I was killed. And uh, my body was left to be ravaged by wolves. However, the wolves very respectfully put me back together, uh, my skeleton back together afterwards. Oh, what thoughtful wolves. <laughs> Still dead, but, you know. So, guys, it's another week of satire TV, which means we're going to be talking about our favorite show, The Witcher. And we couldn't do that without our special Witcher correspondent. It's Casey, and I am a queer-coded bard. Yay! Yay! That's my favorite kind. Yeah! (laughs) Aren't they all? (laughs) (laughs) As if there's any other type of bard. Yeah. Now, Casey, besides being an expert on The Witcher... You're also one of our patrons. Oh, yeah. That's right. (laughs) What the fuck? And I just upped (laughs) my patronage. Which we really appreciate. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, you should do it too, listener. (laughs) That's right. You better listen to Casey or she's going to come find where you live and come to your house and threaten you. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Thanks for painting such a villainous picture. (laughs) Casey's straight sinister like that. (laughs) I'm left-handed. Whoa! And she dresses in all black. (laughs) I've got a giant skull on my shirt. (laughs) She's going to redo your house and repaint all of your furnishings unless you... (laughs) Join our Patreon. By going to patreon.com slash swords and satire. But I think we've threatened our listeners enough (laughs) for the time being. This week, we're going to be talking about The Witcher Season 2, Episode 4, Redanian Intelligence. But before we get into some deep and thoughtful analysis, I think it's time to do a quick recap of the episode. So as the episode starts, we see that Ciri is still training 
And who shows up to help out with her process? But beloved sorceress Triss Marigold. She arrives, she gets introduced to Ciri through Geralt, and they head back to Kermorin. Throughout the episode, we start to uncover things that the audience knows from watching, but that Geralt and Triss don't know about Ciri's connection to chaos magic, her elder blood, which is causing rare flowers to grow uh, where her blood spills, which might be able to be used, uh, according to Vesemir, to recreate the Witcher mutagens. Uh, she admits that um, in episode one of the first season, she caused a monolith to fall down, and we find out that Ciri might be the reason that monsters are coming back to the world. Wow, gee, that's downright too bad, and downright horrifying. Too bad about those monsters, but... Hey, it keeps the witchers employed. <laughs> hey, you're right. It's uh, tuppence is tuppence, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but what what the heck is Triss doing here at Karamoran? Well, like you said, she's come to train Ciri and be a mentor figure. They've determined that she has access to the powers of chaos. Triss, as we know, is a mage that fought at the Battle of Sodden and received burn marks. She's a famed healer, and she's hoping to get some sexual healing from our witcher, Geralt. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yes. Yeah. Watch this awkward scene between a touch-starved mage and a witcher who's emotionally distant. <laughs> what a wonderful scene. <laughs> Together, Triss and Geralt begin to research some of the monsters. And Triss decides to send Geralt to her friend Istrid's laboratory slash study. Good it, thing he's not, like, his ex-girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, things are about to get awkward. And this is in Sintra. Or Zintra. 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 Yeah. Gotta add a little or one. It's, it's a little elven accent. It's been pronounced both ways. Zintrea. It? Zintrea. Depends Zintrea. on like who says it. Zintrea. <laughs> <laughs> nice elven accent. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, we get a little bit of a sneak peek into the Redanian court. The King Vizimir, not to be confused with the Witcher Vesemir, by the way. I don't know why anyone would be confused between Vizimir and Vesemir. They're completely different names. Why am I screaming on the inside? And Vizimir, the king of Redania, <laughs> is almost killed by some of his trusted advisors. But Shouldn't his... have trusted them. <laughs> but his spymaster, Dijkstra, comes in and just brutally dispatches with both of those fools and basically points out to the Redanian king that Sintra is somewhat unprotected. He says they wouldn't take it from Queen Calanthe, but now they could go after it in a political mover maneuver to control both realms. And it, the whole time there's been an owl spying on them and it seems like somebody is looking out from the owl's eyes, probably a mage somewhere. And it seems like Dijkstra knows this, but he still talks about his plans in front of it. So he must know who it is. Little, little tidbit there. Little court intrigue. And he also talks to the king about needing to take over Sintra 
because all of the elves they're persecuting are fleeing there because it's a safe place for them to go. And he convinces the king to recruit an elven spy to go into Sintra to get a lay of the land and figure out what they're planning with the elves. And lo and behold, it turns out to be Dara who's been kept in their dungeons. Gasp! (gasps) But he's from the first season! I figured we'd see him again. He too has been aged up substantially in the five days it's been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously, he has grown an impressive afro since, like, yeah, five days ago. (laughs) Maybe a couple weeks. (laughs) (laughs) He also grew an impressive, like, six to seven inches taller. Yeah, Yeah. and an impressive Adam's apple too. That's right. (laughs) I mean, elves mature actually usually very slowly. So, (laughs) in. Another part of Redania, we see Yen and Kahir in cahoots. Uh, (laughs) Kahir and cahoots. (laughs) Yeah. They have recently fled uh, Aratuza, and they are just trying to figure out what their next move is, and they realize they can't stay in Redania because they are definitely going to be hunted down and persecuted, there are wanted signs out for them. Yeah, those extremely lifelike wanted I pictures. I know, right? I was like, oh, yes, you can obviously tell this is Yen, if not for the fact, if she wasn't wearing the purple... Sorry. Tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's a mage. Just, when you see a mage, yeah. you know that she it's trouble. Even, she can't even do magic right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they're on the run, and... They are uh, going to flee to Sintra. Um, totally and, safe idea. Yeah, so they end up having to take basically the elven version of the Underground Railroad, which is quite literally underground. Yeah. Um, and in, in the sewers. <laughs> yeah. And in order to get to Sintra, they have to get on a boat. But in order to get on the boat, they need someone to kind of distract or cause a, a show or a ruse or whatever for them to be able to get on. Um, and the person who is supposed to do that is the Sandpiper. That's right. Name? Yeah. Which is... Beloved a, performer, the Sandpiper. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, beloved human trafficker, the Sandpiper. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, which is uh, our our fave, Yaskier the Bard. Woo! Yeah. He's back! He's back, and, um, you know, he and Yen have a weirdly touching moment, you know, being both former lovers of Geralt. Um... <laughs> And uh, then he nearly blows their chances of escaping, but they manage to get on the boat. And that's the last we see before um, we hear some crazy noises and look out the hatch and see that the bard's loot or instrument has been destroyed. And I believe that's the loot that he received from Phil of Andril, the king of the elves. Oh, yeah. That's not good. Yeah. That's like a really special artifact almost. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote his most popular song about that loot and with that loot. Toss a coin to your witcher? Yeah. Oh. And he called her very sexy. Incredible. The loot. Yes, oh. that's right. <laughs> I thought you meant Yen. I mean, he was right. That is a sexy loot. So, yeah. All right, well, that pretty much wraps up our summary. Why don't we head into the delve? Well,
Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Witcher. So guys, this episode seems like it's really setting off a ton of different plot threads that are going to all start to wrap together. Yeah. And we're at the middle point of the season. I think this is episode four of eight. Mm -hmm. So the action's really starting to kick off. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, you're more right than I even remembered when we started watching the second season. Jamie and I have gone back and started rewatching the first one alongside it. And I forgot that the Nilfgaardians were searching specifically for Siri. We That's don't right. know why, but... Um, but we have some suspicions. Yeah. And we did learn in the first season that they were trying to seek her out. I love that you did that because I also did that. And then I also re-listened to the first season of the podcast. Wow, what a great idea. Yeah, I just like <laughs> rewatched the show, re-listened to the podcast. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Take take heed, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and up that patronage. <laughs> <laughs> but so we've got a lot of interesting things going on. Let's start by talking about elves. And the discrimination that elves face in this world specifically. Elves and non-humans and perhaps artists. Yeah, artists. Yeah, artists. You know, like bards. This episode is really... I fast-forwarded through the part, after re-watching this, I fast-forwarded through the part that's really uncomfortable to watch where the elf is like, I have to use the bathroom. I was just thinking about that. That upset me so much. And that scene, like, an elf is, like, in chains, in line as a prisoner with a bunch of other elves, and he asks the guard if he could use the bathroom, and the guard is like, well, if it can't wait, you know, Just, yeah, and the elf thinks he's like letting him, you know, use a restroom, but he's not. He's like, go ahead, just piss yourself. Yeah, and he's humiliating this I, elf who's already in chains. Yeah, I hated that. I yeah. really, really did not want to see that, and I was really sad. Yeah, you know, really, it's all about me and my pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thankfully, I guess these are characters, yeah. but we are, of course, evoking a lot yeah. of real world. Trauma, discrimination, um, the experiences that people feel as refugees, uh, whether from a war-torn nation or from some other hardship where they're needing to leave a place. Or in this case, they're actually being rounded up and relocated. And genocided. Yeah. Yeah. They're being, I mean, they're being mutilated. Yes. They're being, they have, some elves have their, like, pointy ears cut off. Yeah. Yaskir points it out explicitly. This yeah, For anybody who's not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, the phenomenon that whenever somebody is designated as the other, they're easier to ostracize and persecute uh, for whatever reason as a means of control and because they don't conform within the dominant narrative. And that has happened all over the world throughout the ages. To any group that doesn't fit in with the norm and who can be a convenient scapegoat. Yeah. And it's happening right now. There's genocides Mm. happening all over the world right now. And Um, I'm not saying that to say, like, oh, it's just part of reality. mm -hmm. It's 
a hu- part of the human condition that's a flaw <laughs> that's been with us for a long time. Yeah. And one I hope that we can find a way to stop doing <laughs> at some point. I don't know. Well, I, I think that the less <laughs> media shy away from it, the mm-hmm. more aware people could be made about these types of situations. And it's not necessarily going to fix it outright, but I think that in recent years, media have become a lot more explicit about portrayals of human suffering. You know, in uh, the early days of television and film, there was a lot more prohibition against the types of narratives you could share. There was things you just couldn't show in movies or that had to be like deeply buried in theatrical or dramatic subterfuge. Now we're seeing a a series like The Witcher that really shows human failings in a very vivid way. And we can see portrayals of the trauma that's associated with displacement, for example, of, let's say, native peoples throughout the entire imperial world in history and today. And it's being portrayed through the show, like those in power using this as a means to maintain their control over whatever region they control. And I would say that The Witcher does a good job of, in general, The Witcher does a really good job of not necessarily having the viewer take sides in like things like the war with Sintra and Nilfgaard, right? Like, well, we can see that both sides have their issues. When it comes to the portrayal of, like, this specific case of the elves being, of being displaced and relocated and forcibly relocated, regardless of whatever, like, else other elves are doing, like, we're very explicitly seeing an older elf being abused by somebody in power. Like, it is bad. Yes, exactly. That's my point is that, like often creates gray gray areas for a lot of things this is one thing they are not making a gray area around they are like this is bad do not do it yeah do it (laughs) it's not a good idea it's really terrible and the guard feels safe and okay doing this because of the propaganda and him being in a position of power and somebody who probably shouldn't have any And just to, like, really nail home the point, we get Jaskier, who is often a character whose perspective I think the audience is very much ready to relate to, saying in very explicit terms, these types of things happen throughout human history, they're an atrocity, and when a group in power decides to scapegoat some people, tons of other marginalized people are going to get swept up in that, too. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Jaskier as a part of that. We mentioned he's doing an underground railroad sort of thing for the elves. And he's a bard, right? Yeah. Yes. So his job is to write ballads that sort of speak to the heart. Yeah. And they address this a lot in the books, and I'm sure they do in the games and a bit in the show. He doesn't shy away from people who are sort of outside of the norm. For example, he's... Like, in love with Geralt. Yeah. They're really good pals, and Geralt is someone who's ostracized by most of society, but Jaskier has always been interested in him, and they've always sort of been 
Well, he's always really taken to Geralt. Yeah. Taken to Geralt. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's true. Washes his butt. But, uh... (laughs) Rubs lotion on it. Yeah. Yeah. I just read a part of the book where he is hanging out with a a halfling that he's friends with and a dwarf that he's friends with. And he talks specifically about how a bard shouldn't judge people based on their race and stuff like that. And they showed that in this episode really well. He references how elves aren't the only group being targeted, like he just said. He brings up the dwarves and the artists. (laughs) And he's helping refugees by conducting them along the Underground Railroad. He would be known as a conductor, somebody who is at a safe station who can then help people get to the next place that they're going or help send them along their journey, give them safe haven for a certain amount of time, and then help send them on to the next leg of their journey. Um, It was the same with the Underground Railroad in the American colonies before the Civil War. And, um, yeah, the people who had created safe havens for people to hide in were the conductors. I I learned recently when I was reading about Harriet Tubman that uh, people who infiltrated went in and helped people escape were called abductors. Huh, interesting. Harriet Tubman was an abductor. She's Mm. great. If anybody has a chance to read about her, you should. She was a fucking badass. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. A real inspiration for this series, I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, I I really was, that's all I could think about when I was watching this episode. So I was wondering if they had done research about American history to write this episode. I mean, for the show, probably. Yeah. Um. And I think one interesting thing about Yasgir is like, you know, previously he was kind of just like bopping along. He followed Geralt. He didn't really have any like uh, direction. And not to say he's like directionless in the way that Yennefer was directionless, right. but he seemed like open to the winds or whatever. Um, and Classic like, bard. Yeah. And then when we see him in this episode, you know, Yen runs into him and she's like, wait, you're the, the sandpiper. Like, what inspired you to to do this, to help elves flee? Um, And uh, he specifically says that he was there when he witnessed, uh, I think, like some sort of brutal massacre or something of a bunch of elves. And, you know, he talks about how, like, that was really horrible. But he also talks about how, like, you know, first they come for the elves and then they come for, you know... So on and so forth. He he lists a few other, I think, races. Yeah, dwarves and dwarves and yeah, halflings probably. Yeah, and then he says, uh, and then they come for thee, and it's kind of like a dot 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 long pause. And uh, being as queer coded as Yaskir has been, you think he's gonna um, come out of the closet in this moment, but right. he doesn't. He, he kind of does. He says they come for the artists. Yeah. Um and uh which isn't to downgrade his his work by any means, no. but I have always kind of appreci- appreciated that Yaskier has come off as a very like um queer coded character all along. Um, yeah, he seems pansexual. Yeah, yeah. Um and you definitely get the sense he's kind of in love with Geralt because like in the episode where he and Geralt go their separate ways, it's because 
um, girl blows up at him and they basically have a breakup. Yeah. yeah. Just Pretty before, explicitly. Yeah. Like just before that scene, he's saying to Geralt, like, why don't we, you know, like run off and yeah. go live by the ocean together? Yeah. You know, yeah. just you and me, guy yeah. pals. We'll get away uh, for a while. We'll be best yeah. friends living by the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Best with our cats. Friends. Yeah. <laughs> and normally, you know, I'm all for like uh two heterosexual men having good friendships, but there's something about Yaskier that just feels so right to be queer coded. So well, I yeah. so I think Jaskier just has a type, and it is buff people. Because in season <laughs> one, true. he is extremely enamored with Borch's two like muscly guards women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think he just is got like got a thing for muscles and and tough people. Taya and Vea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, I watched too much of this show. (laughs) That's why you're our special correspondent. Yeah. They should meet Vesemir and Vizemir. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't think Vesemir's pretty particularly jacked. No. Dijkstra, though. Yeah. Played by beloved character actor Graham McTavish. Yes. But so I so I want to talk a little bit more about Jaskier because I could talk about him all day. And when we were watching this episode, I made the joke, well, now that Jaskier is here, this is all I'm going to talk about for the rest of the season. <laughs> and that's not exactly true. But I just want to bring up the point that Jaskier has these feelings about helping elves, despite the fact that Phil Evangel's elves in season one basically were going to murder him. That's true. He wrote a song where, again... They kicked mm-hmm. in his teeth and smashed his lute. That's true. And yeah. it was thanks to Geralt that that didn't happen. But yeah. even despite that, Jaskier does not share, does not uh, indulge in racism or enmity for the elves. He feels camaraderie and he understands the difficult position mm-hmm. that Phil Evangel's elves were put in and does not let that experience color his feelings going forward. I think also he's had a massive eye-opening when it comes oh, to what has happened with the elves. Because when we see him in uh, episode one of season one, he is saying like, oh yeah, and then the elves just gave the land to the humans. Yeah. And the elves are like, that's not what fucking happened. He's like, yeah. what do you mean? Because he's clearly been drinking too much bard Kool-Aid himself. Yeah. He's been yeah. listening too much to the tunes and not realizing like, that's not what actually happened. So I think when we see him in this episode... He has learned a lot of truths about, you know, the heinous things that have happened to the elves. That Philip Vandral told them when they were tied up. And yeah. in that scene, you can see that Yaskier is actually listening to him and he looks horrified. Yeah. 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 But he's learned even more, obviously, yeah. through witnessing some horrific acts and stuff. And he's starting to Which see, like... happened at this, like, ancient tree that the druids mm. called, like, the seat right. of friendship. Yeah. Where everybody of all races and creeds could come and share knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, so it's especially egregious that that's where the massacre happened. Right. That's rough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, in this episode, Jaskier is a lot less comical than in season one. It's true. He's not really the comic relief. No, he isn't. He sort of is at one point when he gets insulted and they're making jokes about season one. Yes, that was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. They address it as if Jaskier had written songs that were inspired by the whole first season. 
And there's a dock worker that's effectively working as the voice of the audience saying like, I didn't get this part. And it was a little confusing that there were multiple timelines. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they do make the joke about how Jaskier's version of the, uh, the three Jackdaws events. Yeah. Uh, Jaskier says that he like made love to yeah. Taya and Vea yeah. or like hooked up with them. Yeah. And, and he's like, he's like that's not bathroom. really believable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So that was really funny, but aside from that moment, Jaskier seemed still very sassy. Yes. But he was very, um, he, he sort of had a bleak air about him this yeah. episode. Definitely. The world has beaten him down a bit. Yeah. He seems bitter and vindictive in a way. And That's it comes right. across in the song he sings. I was just going to say. Yeah. What gave it away? Was the song Burn, Butcher, Burn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he used to sing songs to laud Geralt. I mean, yeah. Toss a Coin to Your Witcher was like this pop hit yeah. that like got Geralt a bunch of jobs. And now he's very explicitly calling Geralt out. Mm-hmm. And using the name that... He knows Geralt hates the Butcher of Blaviken. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of a dick move there, if you ask me. <laughs> well, he's sad. He's hurt. It's true. I also think it's interesting that he asked the question, what for do you yearn? Because I feel like uh, that's what we've been asking Yennefer a lot. Yes, it uh, is. And it's something he's singing in the other room when Yennefer overhears his voice. So I think that was kind of an interesting, like... The song is about Geralt, um, and I, I bet you it's about the scene where he's like, let's go live on the beach together, <laughs> and Geralt's like, brah! Um, and he's probably like, what do you even want, man? Like, what do you want out of life? And I yeah. think he asks him at some point, like, what do you want out of life? And he's like, to kill monsters and then die, or whatever. But we know that that's not really true. We know that that's not true, but I think Yaskier maybe doesn't understand. Do- Geralt what? says, I want nothing from this life. Yeah, I think, exactly. So he says, what for do you yearn? And I think it's just interesting that when Yen is walking up and discovers that it's him, that that's the line he's singing. Well, yeah. This has been such a common theme. Although, ironically, I would argue that Geralt is one of the few people in this show that has very much a goal. Yes. Like, he is very much... He yearns he, for Yen. <laughs> he, well, he, he also yearns for figuring out what's up with Siri. Yeah. He yearns for figuring out what's going on with the monsters. He's got a job to do. Like, it, he's... That's kind of going along with the theme, though, of, like, finding a new path or mm-hmm. purpose after you suffer a loss because yeah. he decides to go claim child the child's prize in the first season after he loses Yennefer and it becomes his new goal mm-hmm. to protect her and find out what's mm-hmm. going on with her but you whoever said that he yearns for Yen that was what that was correct before yeah, yeah. i think the same thing he still thinks does. she's dead right now still. yeah right that's a good point yeah there's the scene where triss is confronting geralt in the hallway and they talk a little bit about some of the driving forces for Geralt, right? Yeah. I would say probably duty is what he thinks is the main thing that drives him. Yes, definitely. Because figuring out the monsters, figuring out how to kill them to protect the other witchers, people in general, and how to raise Ciri, right? These are all things he feels like he has to do because he's been raised a witcher and destiny said he has to take care of Ciri. And protecting the things that are important to him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Triss is 
talking to him about like, oh, people say that witchers don't have emotions, right? right? People hear that all the time. And I remember we talked about this in the first season. She says those exact words. But she says that I know that that's not true. Yeah, she says, I know you have feelings. And he he says no, basically. (laughs) He's like, wrong. Uh, But he's lying to himself. Yeah. But the thing is, I think it seems like he believes it. He doesn't seem like he can be the type of person that Triss is looking for. Because like I said, she's very lonely after the slaughter at Sodden where she's been scarred forever, probably. I think he thought that she was looking for somebody to like start something more serious with. And it it seems like she was telling him the next day that she just wanted comfort with him that night because she thought that they were sharing the same pain and that they could find solace in each other, basically. Yeah. Now, it's an interesting callback to, say, for example, The Witcher games, where Geralt is very much in between a love affair with Yen and Triss. Yeah. And it seems like the show is maybe not going to... uh, make it quite such a love triangle. We don't know yet. We don't know yet, but it's angling towards stepping away from that and kind of focusing more on Yen and Geralt. But I was so happy to see Triss back in this episode because I wanted her to be a bigger part of the show because she's such a huge part of the games. Hopefully it seems like we're going to get that now that she's at Kaer Morhen. Interestingly, in the first game, Triss is the only of the two between her and Yen in the whole story, even though Yen is traditionally the one that Geralt is closer to. Mm. I was uh, First off, I want to say that I'm glad so far it seems like they're not doing love triangle yeah. things because I fucking hate love triangle yeah. stories. Same. Um, but Too many. Also, I think that Jack was kind of touching on something that I didn't really consider, but I think is really interesting. Um, when you know, Geralt believes that Yennefer is dead. So he has also suffered a loss and he is kind of trying to figure out what his new purpose is on top of the fact that like they haven't spoken in years. Um, then he thinks she's dead and he's like, I'm gonna, I have to, you know, do all of my diligent duties or whatever. You know, I have to care for this child. I have to do my Witcher things. And, I think that he's doing the thing that a lot of, like, stoic men do, which is, like, I have to do the men thing and be the strong, responsible, tough guy. And oh, men. <laughs> I, I feel like an interesting way to view that scene with him and Triss where she's saying, like, I know that you feel is, like, this moment of her saying, like, I know that you also, like, need romantic attention and love as well right and he is refusing himself that it's not just that he's refusing it to her he's refusing it to himself absolutely um he He doesn't want to get close to somebody again yeah and it seems like he is kind of doing that thing that some people do where they're like i have to care for my kid i just don't have time for romance and it's like you're kind of in denial about like you actually could still have romantic relations and it and you could model that for your kid. Yeah, and Siri even kind of seems like she knows how yeah. their relationship came about because she hints at it a few times. Yeah, she's kind of doing the well, but like I know my dad like also needs yeah. <laughs> like well, she's someone. Like, she's like, well, how did you meet Gerald? And then yeah. she says something to the effect of like, 
We work together or something? No, no. Wasn't it? it was like he helped me with a problem with another princess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She right. wasn't as nice as you or something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was a good line. Yeah. Uh, the writing is so sharp in the season yeah. one too, but season two, I feel like they've even brought it up well, a notch. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I think that seems really an interesting way to look at it is that like he's doing the thing that single parents will sometimes do where they are refusing themselves some sort of pleasure um and justifying it as a sacrificial thing for their duties but that's actually not the case he might be avoiding it for another reason he's depriving himself for for a different reason and it could be because he's hurting so badly about yennefer but i don't know i mean maybe i think it's a combination he may not being totally honest with himself why yeah i think i think that's a big thing and i think he's doing the i'm a stoic man thing yeah well, it's yeah. this idea of sacrifice, right, which comes up a lot in this episode, where he's sacrificing his connection to other people his age, I guess. <laughs> what I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he's denying himself human connection that isn't, like, this stoic parental position. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's having a hard time uh, relating to equals. He is the the people that he has been closest with in this season have been his father figure Vesemir mm-hmm. and his daughter figure Siri. Yeah. And everybody true. else and then like his brothers basically, the other witchers. Yeah. And he has to kill Eskel in yeah. an earlier episode. That really fucks him up. He is he's calling on Triss as a favor, but he doesn't want to open himself up to her, even though they have like some amount of history and mm-hmm. and a good relationship mm-hmm. that was established in the first season. Yeah, I don't want to move away from the theme of loss and finding a new purpose before we talk about the other characters that are going through this too. I mean, we touched on Triss a little bit. She is suffering from PTSD oh, yeah. from the battle at Sodden and. The injuries she sustained and all of the loss of her friends and everything. It seems like she had near-fatal burns. She says she can't feel. And I don't know if she means emotionally or physically. Because she has scarring so bad that she might also not literally physically be able to feel. It's true. And, like, they were healed to some extent. But she can't be completely healed. Yeah. And it seems like being... At Kermorin and helping Siri and Geralt is her finding a new purpose for herself. Mm-hmm. Because she seems to feel like since she's scarred now, she can't go back to court. We found out about that. Her feelings around that in an earlier episode when she was at the pool with Yen and their friends. Yeah. Remind me, was Triss scarred by Yennefer's chaos? No. It was a right. guardian soldier who put fire on her. Right. It might have been a meme. Yeah, I think he... Yeah, somebody torched her, right? Yeah. Or just, yeah, held a torch to her because she was keeping them out of the keep. That's right. She was holding the keep and was, yeah, was burned during that. So that's that's what Triss is dealing with. And then Yennefer also talks to Yaskier about this explicitly Mm -hmm. when they're on the Mm -hmm. ship. Mm -hmm. Basically, I think... Either Yen opens up about not having access to her magic anymore, mm-hmm. or Yaskier figures it out from their conversation. Yeah. I mean, he's a bard. Insight is a class skill. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And, and a lifeline. <laughs> even though they're kind of like frenemies, <laughs> um, he, he feels like really connected to her from that loss. 
yes. and is empathizing with her position because it's he says it's something he worries about all the time like losing something that is like the only thing you were put on this world to do or on yeah, this he earth. says yeah he know. says who are we when we lose the one thing that we were put on this earth to do right yeah, yeah and he talks about how he's worried that his muse will stop speaking to him which i thought was a really interesting line that gave me goosebumps while we were watching the episode yeah and Yennefer isn't recoiling. She's kind of lapping up his words. She's totally engrossed in what he's saying. Well, I love when they first like meet up in this episode and Yaski is like, oh fuck. And then Yen just goes in to hug him and he's just like, wait, what? And it like completely disarms him. He's still like, wait, I don't like you, but their shared trauma is yeah. something that I think is making him like lower his defenses with her because they are familiar with each other what does that even more is when she tells him that she's a refugee trying to get into Sintra and he's like oh yeah you're part elven I yeah. forgot I also think it's interesting that um you know when when he says to her you know like who are we when we lose the one thing that we were put on this earth to do she basically says the thing to him that everyone has been saying to her which is you find a new purpose, you find a new meaning. And I'm like, I think it's interesting that she's regurgitating this phrase considering she's been so reluctant yeah. to accept that as advice. So I am really hoping that that is her realizing the reality of that or like the wisdom in that. Right. Maybe she's finally internalizing that advice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping for also. Who knows? Because <laughs> while he's telling her all of this really moving stuff about why he's inspired to help the elves, she doesn't seem compelled, even though she's like, yeah, I'm part elven. Um, well, she's processing a lot. Yeah, but I feel she doesn't really she doesn't really seem to own her elven side as much. As much as it seems like people force it on her as a way to like demean or disrespect her. She doesn't seem to own it as like, I am part elven and I want to know more about my like elven backstory, my, el you know, like my elven ancestors. I want to be a part of the elven community. I want to help save elven lives. She doesn't seem to be as engaged in that. She seems to mostly see her elven half as like the half that diminishes her or discredits her or uh, gets her, you know, treated badly by others. Well, in her early days at Eratusa, she hid it, and it yeah. was Istrid who revealed Yen's elven heritage to Stregobor, and in the last episode of this season, we found out, I mean, just how much Stregobor hates elves, too, mm -hmm. besides hating powerful women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we might get to see in later episodes Yennefer taking up a cause like what you were talking about, Casey, yeah. when she gets to Sintra or Zintrea or Zintra. <laughs> I'm just really hoping so because she's had so many opportunities to kind of see that. And I thought that she was becoming more invested in a cause at the end of season one. It seemed like when she was standing on the battlefield, she realized like, I am a part of something. This means yeah. something. And she was having this moment of, like, I can stand for something. And then 
you know, she goes through, like, this horrible battle that's really traumatizing. She loses her powers. And I feel like she just kind of is like, never mind, I don't want to stand for something. I just want to get my power back. So she, beca- she like, recenters that attention back on her own, I don't want to say selfish desires, but, like, it is, it does feel like she's quickly lost sight of the bigger picture. But I would say that she's kind of flipped that since the last episode when she grabs Kahir and runs off with him and, like, escapes yeah, but she to runs save off, his life. She runs off with him, not to save his life, but to avoid being considered either, like, an evil villain who is capable of murder or a Nilfgaard spy. She's like, I don't have any... Sure. Like, there's no option here where I can get out of this, and I need him as collateral bait. She says that. I actually kind of read that as another instance of her trying to find her own path. Like you were saying, she wanted to find a way out of this dichotomous position she's Mm -hmm. been put in by the organization she was kind of helping at Sodden and feeling camaraderie with those mages again. And then now they're scapegoating her again. And she probably Mm -hmm. feels betrayed yet again by them. Well, now that she doesn't have magic, they don't have any reason to fear her in their eyes. Right. Or respect her. Respect or fear her. So she's just trying to find a way to create her own identity without somebody else dictating to her or for her who she is. When they're in the sewers or whatever, um, and they encounter the two elves who are trying to escape, you know, she's like, I want to escape too. How can I escape? And they're like, not wanting to tell her because there's limited space on the boat. And she says to them, like, listen, if we're not able to get on the boat, if there's not enough room for us, we will just wait for the next one. And when there's like a weird sewer monster, which I just don't know why that was necessary. There's always sewer monsters. But there's like a weird sewer monster. It kills one of the elves. Well, Jermaine was getting way too much backstory and emotional investment with the audience, so they had to kill him. That's what I was going to say earlier when I was talking about how Jaskier isn't the comic relief anymore. That character, Domain. Domain. Domain did become the comic relief character. By getting killed? Uh, no. Listen here. The setting is a grim, dark setting. Yeah. Okay. Everything has to be bleak. Trauma is a theme of every single episode. All right? Yeah. It's about being morally strong in a world that isn't. Okay? And this character exemplified generosity, optimism, and slice-of-life attitude. (laughs) (laughs) You can't live like a normal person in this world. You gotta kill him. He was talking about settling down. Enjoying nice meals and having a family. With a big booby, dark haired woman. You see, the second he started saying that, I'm like, he's gonna die. Yeah. They're gonna so, kill him right away. So you're saying that the <laughs> monsters of this world specifically target quaint folk. I'm saying that creature wasn't there until he started talking like that. He summoned it. And then it <laughs> killed him. And yes, he summoned it. You gotta be careful in a world with magic. (laughs) Yes. When the monster was attacking him, though, Yen, like, ran in to try to save him. Even though she doesn't have powers, she's just trying to pull him out 
of the monster's grip. Just unarmed and, attacks on a on yeah. an underwater monster. Yeah, <laughs> obviously doesn't go well. He doesn't make it, but the other elf just like bounces. He oh, takes trail. Yeah. <laughs> well, hold on though. I want. I've I've, I've been waiting to talk about that. So yeah, and um. But I think that that is an interesting thing where, like, normally Yen would be the type to be like, not my fucking problem, I'm not dealing with this. But not only did she express, like, some level of being willing to sacrifice her place on the ship for these two other people, she also threw herself powerlessly into a underwater monster's grasp to try to help somebody. So I was like, maybe these are little glimmers of her becoming, like able to see her value and fight for something despite not having any power. She's yeah, taking the risks again to connect to other people. Yeah, I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to me that Kahir also risks his life to mm-hmm. save Yen. Like, I mean, Maybe it's just because he knows that she's the one who's going to help him get on the ship, mm-hmm. but he he seems to be feeling at least responsible to her as somebody who saved his life which, as we know in this setting, is a very important quality. That's why yeah. Dooney, uh, you know, demands that Geralt uh, ask for something in return for saving his life so he doesn't have a life debt to Geralt. So if somebody and, saves you, you got to save him back. And here even says earlier in the episode, because, um, you know, he's talking about uh, how when Tissaia tried to, like, break into his mind, she yes. couldn't actually break through, but he says, you know, what would she have found if she did? But when, uh, so when that happens, he's able to kind of keep her out of his mind. Um, but or he is he? he? Something is. Um, and he says, like, what would she have found? Like, you know, he implies that there's some, like, heavy dark shit that he's been through, and then he says, like, I serve Amir because he served me first. Right. And it's this idea of, like, he saved my life, and so I feel indebted to him. And then he says to her, everyone answers to someone eventually, even you, I expect. And this is this implication that, like, everyone isn't going to be in debt to someone else because someone is going to show you such deep generosity that you will do anything to, like, help them. Um, right. Or maybe it won't be deep generosity. It might be something. But, right. You know. It kind of speaks to this idea that Jamie's talking about, the life debt, because there's this child, there's this, like, ch- child surprise. There's the, um, or the law of surprise, I mean. There is the destiny thing. There's the life debt. It's like this base level form of magic that underlies everything Mm -hmm. that is kind of almost like one of the physical laws of this world. Mm -hmm. It's like a a law of physics, but with magic. Or at least certainly... It governs the world. Yeah, or or at least coincidences will support uh, this idea that if you don't pay your debts, then bad things will happen. All right, it's like girl. a self, it could be a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. <laughs> All right, girl. But, but also, <laughs> Yennefer already, but also Yennefer already is in debt to someone, kind of. Like, she has that weird, not packed yet, but kind of packed thing happening with the witch from the woods. Yes. Um, oh, yes. And so, like, in a way, she hasn't received her power back, but if she does accept the power... 
from the witch, she will be in debt to that witch. Because, the deathless mother, Yeah, right? the deathless mother. Everything... Baba Yaga. Yeah, everything that um she does for... Uh, that the deathless mother does for other people undoubtedly comes with some sort of ridiculously absurd price. Oh, yeah. certainly. So, well, that's what I was hinting at when we were talking about it. I wouldn't take that deal. Yeah. Either. <laughs> <laughs> Not power hungry enough, I see. You don't know what she's going to ask for. Yeah, so maybe maybe when Kahir says that to her, it's actually she already is in debt to somebody or will be if she ever accepts her power back. Well, arguably, uh, Yen is in debt to Geralt because he did save her life. That's true. From the genie. Oh, yeah. Or the djinn in season one. That's true. That's probably why they're bound, really. Maybe and they he keep just, finding each other. It's a destiny thing. Maybe he just wished for her not to die, and that's and it's like, well, she owes you one. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if this elder being had some sort of elder being backstory, such as they are an elder being with elder blood and chaos magic. Wait, when you say elder being, do you mean the... The Baba Yaga-like oh, okay. figure. Deathless Mother. The Deathless oh. Mother. Yeah? And I'm thinking if she has this power because she's strongly entwined with the magic of this world, Siri mm-hmm. also strongly entwined magic world elder blood. Yep. I am so glad you brought her back up. I was thinking, like, we can't finish without talking about her again. So Siri has a vision when she's trying to tell them about what happened to her um, after uh, Sintra was taken. (laughs) And she toppled that monolith. She kind of goes into a trance. Yes. We get to see her vision. It's somebody speaking about her in her visage. And it says that Siri belongs to chaos she's a child of chaos right and whoever it was was trying to claim her and like she belongs to some bigger phenomenon about the world itself like about something that's rejuvenating itself about this world yeah well she has elder blood and she's bringing back monsters and plants that haven't been natively growing or being born. And as far as I understand it, the elder blood like is connected to a race of beings that kind of are the ancestors of elves. Mm-hmm. I think. That's what you, I've gotten. I bet you Yen is so jealous to know that Siri is like the most chaos power <laughs> goddess. I mean, Yen might be with, too. With prophecy. Oh, all that power in that little bitch. <laughs> you could think of humans and everything from Earth as invasive species. Because they I are. do, yeah. They literally are. Yeah. And uh, she's bringing back the native species, which are very hostile, typically. <laughs> And so this means that Ciri's line, and we understand that she has this elder ancestry through her maternal line. Right. Right. And so... Her dad was just a hedgehog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Meow? (laughs) Is that a hedgehog noise? (laughs) It was from the Sonic trailer. (laughs) Nice. Okay. And so her... Mother had this elder connection to chaos. Uh, her grandmother, Calanthe, did not. Or it was latent. 
It skips a generation. Magic skips a generation. Obviously it was, but Calanthe's mother had the ability. Right. She, she mentions it in of uh, the episode in the first season of Banquets, Burials, and Bastards. No wonder why Calanthe killed all those surf uprisings. She was just overcompensating. Maybe. <laughs> I know. that was brutal. Her bloodlust repressed her magic, I guess? I don't know. I, I figured it was that she's like, man, my grandma has magic, po- or not my grandma, my mom has magic powers, and my daughter has magic powers, and I don't have any powers, I'm gonna kill a lot of people! The power of homicide. Yeah. Compels you. <laughs> Another theme that I wanted to talk about, this is kind of a double whammy, but it's like role models and femininity. So I love it. When Trish, this is actually one of my favorite things in this show, Trish shows up and... She's like, you know, dressed nice and Siri's doing the thing that she did in the first episode of this season where she's like, oh, my God, a lady, you know, like girl stuff. And um, she misses that. Yeah. She she grew up in a palace. Yeah. yeah, And she clearly like really identifies with femininity. She's been not being her normal feminine self because she's in a household full of dudes who like don't even know (laughs) who are shitty to her yeah they're shitty to her they pick on her because she put a flower in her hair but i think it's like so cute that like you know the next day after meeting tris she comes down with like the same hairstyle oh i even noticed that it's so cute and i'm like it's so clear that she's just like there is like a lady role model for me and tris is eager to be that for her it's not just like her imitating someone who's like, Ew. you know, Triss is really excited to to teach her and help her learn about her powers. I, I was really loving cute. how, yeah, and I was loving how sweet Triss was to yeah. her. And I was like, yes, it's a positive relationship. I was like, yeah. something's about to go really wrong. Yeah. Because they're having a nice time yeah. together. <laughs> it's it's a- true. Yeah. Now, if they aren't cowards the next day, Siri... <laughs> Triss and Geralt will have the ha- same hairstyle. That would oh be God, amazing. I hope so. Oh but, yes, um, I'm waiting for that moment. And and like matching dresses. Yes, I'm after, so in. Um, and flowers. After Cohen and Lambert make fun of Siri, and they are put in their place by Triss and <laughs> Geralt, and they respect Triss. They do. Triss has done them a solid in the past. So they listen to her, and they feel shitty for what they've done, as they should. And, and Cohen's just, like, living up to unnecessary masculine gender norms, because we already know that he's got a sensitive side from the first episode we met him in. It's true, and Geralt, like, brings Siri her breakfast. He says they felt bad. We don't know if they really did or not. But Siri, It seems to make Siri feel better. Yeah, Siri says to Geralt after that, like, you can wear dresses yeah. and fight. My grandmother did it. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, I know. My grandmother <laughs> murdered dozens of peasants, hundreds of peasants wearing yeah. dresses. Yeah. Oh, okay. Grandma's. Okay, Sarah. <laughs> That's right. Cohen, to me, in this episode, we see he's sensitive and he's very friendly to Siri a lot of the time. They play games and stuff together. It's true. They seem to have a pretty good relationship. When he's teasing her about the flower with his friend, it seems more to him like it's just sort of a lighthearted joke and he's sort of oblivious to the fact that he offended her because all of his peers practice like witcher stoicism and don't let their feelings get hurt. Yeah. In a visible way. Okay. Lambert's yeah. more of a direct shithead. Yeah, They're and- not used to having a 13-year-old girl around, which isn't an excuse, but it's 
makes it understandable. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. But when Triss calls Cohen out, uh, he seems really upset by it. Like, yeah. he's like, oh, no, I hurt her feelings. Yeah. No. I think the thing I really like about Triss calling them out, she doesn't just call them out for picking on uh, Siri. She also calls them out on, like, not caring for her yeah in yes. the right way in the right way and one of the things that i really appreciate that the show deals with is they she talks about like what do you do when she gets her period like she she says like yeah. the blood or her blood or whatever but she's like do you have like cloth for her you know and i really was like this show talks about period yeah, <laughs> i know it was great it doesn't shy away from real life and, and that's one of the great parts about like it. does she have a chemise like underwear like what do yeah. you what's, what's going on yeah. here yeah. And I, I just really appreciated like it's so true there's like there are these like real issues that come up if you are a young woman who is being like raised by a whole bunch of dudes who like just couldn't even fucking bother to figure out what it means to be a 13 year old girl like they're not even putting in an effort and she's like do you have stuff for like you know a woman to get her period no like you you're gonna need to figure that out does she have underwear? No. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what on. the fuck are you guys doing? You yeah. can kill monsters, yeah. but you can't fucking raise like a teenager. Come on. Yeah. So I, I really appreciated that she says that. I, I in my notes I have period talk exclamation point. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it's also really interesting because this is such like a complete polar opposite to Yen's experience. I've compared. Witcher, yeah. Witcher school to Yen's shitty Hogwarts experience before. <laughs> it might be less shitty than Hogwarts, honestly. I, I feel like they're put less in danger than the kids of Hogwarts. Yeah, honestly, you know that it's literally <laughs> less with the shitty than Hogwarts because the mages at Eratusa don't shit their robes. Oh my god. Good point. Um, but also, like, the, <laughs> the the teachers were also as abusive as Tasea, so I guess you're right. There is no real, like, it's just Hogwarts. It's just as shitty Hogwarts. Yeah, because, um, the students would, like, get fucked up, turned into animals. Turned into eels. <laughs> True. Yeah. Blasted by lightning. Yeah. Fucking McGonagall turned a kid into a... A goddamn rat, rat or, or something. Yeah, it was like a rodent. It was some sort of rodent. Or like I mean, they did that in my school, too. It's not yeah. a big deal. When she did it, it was okay. When Mad-Eye Moody turned a student into a ferret, then it wasn't okay. Actually, that, was that wasn't Mad-Eye Moody. She didn't know that. That was... Yeah. I was going to say Barton Fang. <laughs> 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 don't spoil that was it David for people Dennett. who don't know that was David oh um, but yeah Barty Crouch Jr but yeah I think I think it's just interesting you know you're seeing like Siri get like this this uh, woman who is not only supportive and trying to help teach her how to be a mage but she's also like advocating for her and she's like you know nice yeah fucking nice i love how she's modeling emotional intelligence for everybody yes oh she shows empathy for others she defends people who need defending she tries to relate to people on their level yeah so i think and like show concern over things that they're worried about yeah i i think she's a really great role model like not just for siri but for everybody yeah there i hope she stays there like i'm nervous that it was just to be like a one-off thing i hope not yeah (laughs) i've been hoping that tris gets a bigger role so i'm with you yeah 
All right, well, before we move on, there's just one more thing I want to talk about from this episode. This is, again, a jam-packed episode where so much is getting set up. But I want to talk a little bit about really efficient storytelling within an episode as a side plot. And that is the elves, uh, Balian and Dermain, who Yen and Kahir meet in the sewers. We were talking about it earlier. Dermain dies, Balian runs off, and basically, right. like, pieces out without helping Yen and Kahir try to save his friend, who, like, ostensibly he was close with, and he was trying to, like, escape with. And they really shame Balian about this. I mean, maybe understandably. And at the end of the episode, he sacrifices himself to probably being beaten to death by the guards of the ship when Yaskier is having a little, um, let's say, hissy fit about his art being critiqued. Yeah, he provides cover yeah, he... for the elves trying to get on the ship because Yaskier, who was supposed to be providing them cover, blew it because his yeah. ego is so big. Yeah. Or so, fragile. <laughs> yeah, fragile, I think, Yeah, definitely. if it were big, maybe it wouldn't be so fragile. <laughs> but so we get this really great example of meeting a character... And that character having an arc within the episode. Yeah. And it's just a side plot. Mm -hmm. And that attention to detail is outstanding. Mm -hmm. We meet this guy. He's trying to escape. He does something that would be considered shameful, especially in this universe. And it also ties back to all of these things about, like, owing somebody your life. Yeah, cowardly and self-serving. So, yeah. I mean, he, we, we can infer from that that maybe he owed a life debt to Jermaine and it, he didn't pay up. And he had to basically pay it forward to... Mm -hmm all these other elves yeah. by sacrificing himself. Otherwise he would have lived a cursed life. Yeah. It's possible. It's really efficient storytelling and it happens with characters that we've known for like five minutes of screen time. Well, yeah. and the elves understand even better than the humans, of course, because they're native to this world and they understand the laws that govern it. Yeah. Better than the humans do. So I just wanted to make sure that we didn't conclude without discussing that great storytelling moment. But at this point, I think it's probably time to head into final thoughts. All right, guys, we've said a lot about this one. Does anyone have anything they want to add before we wrap up? So we didn't really go into too much about the monoliths, but right. we do know that there right. is a giant monolith in Sintra, and so that's one reason why Geralt is going there. And All roads lead to Sintra, guys. <laughs> Triss knows that Istrid is there studying that monolith, and that's why she sent him there. They don't seem to trust each other very much when he shows up, and Geralt seems completely unconcerned that Istrid is like, casting defensive magic and might be thinking about attacking him, he's totally unconcerned. <laughs> I mean, witchers are immune to most forms of magic. That's true. Good point. He also just, like, pops in in a cloak. Like, yeah, I would also be trying to throw some pew-pews at a random guy who just appears out of nowhere in a cloak. It would have been nice of Triss to, like come and provide introductions right? but like bt dubs i'm sending my pal yeah, yeah. oh yeah send it send a raven maybe yeah. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, Geralt's body language after that does not speak to an observer that he's trying to be threatening or anything, but Istrid seems very on edge. Yeah, well, all I'm saying is, as soon as the name Yennefer comes up, these two are going to hate each other's guts. (laughs) Oh no, it's the love triangle I never wanted. It might be. There may or may not be uh, a story in the books of them trying to kill each other over again. I was so can proud of Istrid <laughs> for say? turning her down. So I'm like, please don't go back on that. You're right. Oh, you yeah. probably don't do that. You're I right. mean, he still has feelings for her, but he says <laughs> that if he thought she meant it, right. wanting to go back to him, he would do it. He knew that yeah. Yen was using him, and that just hurt so much worse. And that's why he walks away. But he he does have the emotional intelligence built up enough, as you're saying, yeah. Casey, to recognize that. Yeah, I he like is, that. Uh, he is like 80 years old. Yeah. You'd hope. You'd hope. You'd hope. He's somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just excited to have Istrid back. He was yeah. one of my favorite characters yeah. in season one. He's complex. He's interesting. He's a researcher. I mean... He's handsome. He's <laughs> outstandingly <laughs> handsome. When we were re-watching season one recently, I was like... Damn, this is a good-looking dude. I know. I, know. <laughs> I think also, I mean, his hair is a bit longer in this episode, and he's got a little bit of facial hair, which always is my. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say that's, right, that's my style too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it'll be fun to have him back. He did seem in that interaction with Yen too that from the first season, he was even though she's beautiful, like he doesn't totally care about that. He like when he first saw her, he was like, "Damn," but um. Oh, when he first saw her after her, her transformation. transformation. Yeah. But, like, when she comes to see him later, like, really he just seems to miss the old Yen. Because he says to her, at least you kept your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a superficial part of who she used to be. And it, it's like you said, Casey, it's just a painful reminder of what he's lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, their relationship is so complex because they were both being played against each other and used to gather information about the other one by their respective, like, headmasters, basically. But they clearly, genuinely had a lot of feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He basically taught her that there was a lot of beauty in the world when he showed her a lot of visions back then. Yeah. And then he sort of pulled the rug out from under her, so. They kind of did it to each other, though. So. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. But yeah, so it's complicated. That's their relationship status. Interesting to see how he and Geralt get along because I don't think they will. No. (laughs) I mean, they certainly have not started off in a productive manner for having a relationship. I know. I want them to be friends. Me too. The show does unique things, I think, from the books and the games. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. you know, hopefully it's different than what I remember. (laughs) Well, on that note... Hell, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Hail> Crom. Yeah. <laughs> Crom? Oh. <laughs> well, I feel like we could keep talking about this episode for much longer than the episode itself ran, so we should probably <laughs> wrap up here. I believe we already have. Yep. Casey, thank you so much for being with us again on yeah. another episode yes. of The Witcher. No problem. I'm excited for the next one, and I think I am actually... After that, I will not have seen all of any of these, so we will be caught up. And if you guys want to join the conversation, you can check us out on social media. We're at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
We post some awesome memes, well, Jamie does, and we are always open to talking about your takes on the shows and movies we watch. And if you really want to get involved with the Swords and Satire family, you can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire, check out our patron tiers, sign up and get some bonus episodes, some awesome duck art, and have a much more direct way to contact us. That's right. But if you don't have a few extra coins to toss to your favorite podcasters, you should up that subscription. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you don't have the coins. And the best fantasy movie podcasters out there. That's right. If you don't have additional (laughs) coins to toss to your podcasters, uh, another great way you can support the show is by sharing it with your friends and family. What better way to enjoy your favorite media than by sharing it with your loved ones, only the supportive ones. (laughs) You can watch all the media we watch together and then listen to the episode together. That's right. You don't have to, like, hate watch with people that you don't get along with. (laughs) That's right. I don't know if that's how hate watching usually works, but close enough. I I don't know. (laughs) Family means they're always there for you. And enjoy your favorite podcast with them. Oh, boy, family. Yeehaw. And this can be your chosen family, too. That's That's right. right. All right. Well, until next time. Hail Hail Crom. Crom!